People from all over come to New York City for the various networking opportunities it provides. But what people may not know is that when they ride the subways or check their emails, they're involved in different kinds of networks. Hi, I'm George Bodarki, and this is Cityscape. This week, we're exploring the networks that make up our city, from bridges to broadband, and how they impact the hustle and bustle that New York is known for. Our first guest is John Kruskevich. He's a New York City architectural historian and tour guide. John, thanks so much for coming in. My pleasure. So how do you define infrastructure? Infrastructure is a really broad term, uh, and we are in the city of infrastructure. It can be transportation infrastructure, like roadways, subways, rail. Uh, it can be communications infrastructure, the wires under the street, cellular, cellular towers. It could be um, the water uh, that comes into our homes every day. Uh, it's the way uh, sewer, sewage is removed from our homes. It's the way uh, trash is removed from our homes. It's the way power and other utilities come into our homes. So it, it covers a broad range of things that makes the modern city possible. So what aspect of all of that do you find most fascinating? I'd have to say transportation. Why is that? Uh, I, I grew up in New York City, and uh, uh, from a, a young age, I was fascinated by subways. And I also grew up in a period when New York City was building highways, and I saw a uh, the Verrazano Narrows Bridge being built. So those things uh, sparked my interest. Now, not too long ago, you were involved in an exhibit featuring architecture below the subway system. That's correct. Uh, we often don't think of infrastructure in terms of design. We think of it in terms of its function. But it really uh, transforms the look of a city. So, for instance, uh, in uh, subway-style uh, uh, architecture and design in New York City subway. Uh, we explored the uh, way the subway was shaped, uh, reflecting the architectural philosophies of the time period that the different lines were built. So what do you think people would be most fascinated about as they zip through the underground, knowing something that you know? Well, for example, on the way here, I took the uh, D train, which is the concourse line, and it was designed by Squire J. Vickers. And Vickers was concerned that traveling underground is disorienting, so he created a very subtle system of color coding to allow people to know where they were in the system. Uh, you might know if you ride on the letter lines, the first part of the alphabet originally was called the IND, the independent lines, built, designed in the 20s, built in the 30s. And they're very streamlined. Uh, they don't have the traditional ornament that the earlier lines have. Uh, they have color coding bars. And uh, the colors change uh, as you move uh, between express stops. And the colors intensify as you move towards the downtown. It's so subtle that most New Yorkers don't know. But I noticed it. I, I noticed that I was getting near Fordham Road because the colors were getting more intense. Wow, that's pretty incredible. <laughs> Did not know that at all. So we can learn a great deal about the history of this great city by simply focusing in on its infrastructure, right? Right. And, and it's something that we come in contact with every day. I think it makes uh, the everyday a little more enjoyable if you know something about its history. In addition to subway infrastructure, what infrastructure in the city would you say were the game changers throughout history? Well, um, you can go back to the establishment of the first water supply system, uh, which was completed in 1842, the Croton system. That really transformed 
uh, the city in a way that made it uh, safer because now we had a water supply system under pressure to put out fires, which were a major cause of destruction in the city. As a matter of fact, uh, we can take great comfort because uh, today we struggle with infrastructure, how to build it. It's very contentious. Same challenges faced the city in the 19th century. And sometimes it takes a cataclysmic event like the Great Fire of 1835, which wiped out much of lower Manhattan, to get everybody on board. Which current infrastructure projects are you watching closely right now? Uh, Certainly, we're all very excited about the Second Avenue subway. Um, I'm really pleased to see the completion in lower Manhattan of uh, the Fulton Transportation Hub in conjunction with the Transportation Hub at the World Trade Center. It's really amazing uh, to connect nine New York City subway lines and the PATH train stations and walk through something that's uh, not only climate-controlled and filled with natural light, but uh, is very architecturally distinctive. I'm fascinated by what's happening on the far west side of Manhattan. It's a completely different city over there watching that grow. Yes, Hudson Yards and the uh, made possible by the extension of the number seven subway line, giving it a direct connection to Times Square and Grand Central. Uh, it took something that was really, uh, you know, out in the boondocks and made it uh, directly connected to the center of the city. What's your background? Um, I'm a native New Yorker. Uh, I'm an architectural historian. I uh, have a professional degree in architecture from Pratt Institute, uh, and uh, so. I'm, I came to architectural history through uh, architecture. You lead tours of New York City architecture. I do. What's entailed in those tours? Um, I, I look at giving tours and lectures and teaching uh, all the same. Uh, if we're talking about infrastructure, uh, if I can't, uh, if it's a lecture, uh, it's very heavily illustrated. Uh, if we're doing a walking tour, I'm sh- I'm, I make certain that we are in the place that will best illustrate the point. Um, I think that's something that uh, a book that I, I highly recommend to anybody that's interested in infrastructure in New York City. It's called The Works by Kate Asher, and uh, it's uh, heavily illustrated, and that takes some very complex uh, systems and makes them readily uh, engaging to a very wide audience. And that's sort of what I'd like to do in my tours, lectures, classes. We hear a lot about New York City's aging infrastructure, especially when we have disaster like gas pipe explosions. Mm-hmm. How big of a concern is it, the fact that our infrastructure is getting older and older? I mean, what kinds of challenges are posed in a city like New York because of that. Yeah, uh, it's something very critical. We are, we're fortunate in that the infrastructure that we do have was, for the most part, designed really well. Um, But on the other hand, we've been coasting on the infrastructure that previous generations had had built. So um, we're coming to a critical point, and I think that there's a a groundswell of uh, popular uh, support for infrastructure. Um, we'll see if the support is joined with uh, the the means to uh, finance those. But I think everybody agrees that uh, we need to invest in infrastructure. Are you as interested in infrastructure in other cities, or is New York just your thing? New York is my focus, but it's important, though, to uh, get a sense of context. For instance, um, a few years ago, there was some talk of... Uh, 
shutting down a section of the New York City subway system, the uh, Franklin Avenue shuttle, because it had such low ridership. And uh, when you compared the low ridership to other cities, it was the federal standard for building a new transit line. Um, we lose perspective in New York. Uh, the Lexington Avenue subway line combines uh, carries the same amount of people as Boston, Chicago, and uh, Washington, D.C.'s metro combined, just that, you know, the four, five, and six lines. Do you think that people would be a little bit more understanding of, say, subway delays and other issues that we face if they knew more about the infrastructure? Uh, perhaps. Uh, people have a right to expect, uh, you know, a good, clean, well-run uh, transit system, uh, the same way they have the right to expect uh, well-designed uh, arterial highways and bridges and tunnels uh, that are well-maintained, because that's the key to our economic vitality. Um, I think we should demand uh, also a higher design standard. Uh, one of the things, even going, going larger, if you go to European cities, there's a a greater emphasis on uh, good design because they see infrastructure as part of the civic realm. And we did too. Uh, as a matter of fact, you were speaking about the subways. When the first contracts were signed, uh, the, the city wrote in the contracts, uh, wherever the public cast their eye, uh, care must be given to both utility and beauty. And I think for too long we're just uh, functionalist and uh, you know, it's, things can be beautiful and functional. What aspect of New York City's infrastructure history do you like to share most? Um, the transit history, as well as uh, the uh, bridges and tunnels and arterial highways. Is there a particular factoid that you love to share most with people? Uh, well, uh, you know, there's so many uh, um, statistics, but I think I enjoy uh, sharing the design history. Uh, because it brings together my interest in infrastructure and uh, in good design, urban design. Um, I think people forget how beautiful uh, the parkway systems, and even when they first opened, the expressway systems were. Uh, but uh, again, uh, interventions over decades that were unsympathetic have left it a hodgepodge. So besides the 2nd Avenue subway, what else should we be keeping our eyes on when it comes to infrastructure looking towards New York City's future? Uh, access to the airports is a big one, especially as we're competing with other world cities that have access to the airports. Um, I, there, people are very excited about the rebuilding of LaGuardia, but it doesn't go far enough because they're, the, the plan doesn't include any sort of uh, rapid transit link uh, either to the center city or to the larger region, and that's a that's a a failure. Uh, I think that uh, if you look at uh, Jim Venturi's uh, rethink project, uh, which um, imagines a, a LaGuardia Airport relocated to Rikers Island, and uh, the transportation that will link it directly to Penn Station, it serves not only New York City but the larger region. Now, if people want to get on one of your tours, how do they find out about that? Uh, well, uh, there, there are several ways. Um, I do walking tours and uh, two different uh, boat tours with the American Institute of Architects New York chapter. And they can either go to the website, which is AIANYC.org, or Classic Harbor Line, uh, which is the sponsoring uh, 
company that uh, provides the boats for us. And they're climate controlled. They run through the year. Uh, there's an AIA circumnavigation architecture tour uh, every day of the week. And uh, the uh, infrastructure tours are given twice a month on Saturdays. John, thanks so much for coming in. My pleasure. John Kruskevich is an architectural historian and tour guide with the New York City chapter of the American Institute of Architects. Next on Cityscape, we're plugging into digital infrastructure. Joining me now is Ingrid Burrington. She's here to talk about her new book, Networks of New York, an illustrated field guide to urban internet infrastructure. Ingrid, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. So your book aims to lift the veil on the Internet, to show readers what it actually looks like. What inspired you to do this? Well, one of the the big inspirations for for putting this book together was... um what I, I've sometimes jokingly called like an image problem with the internet, which is that like the images that, that are publicly distributed about it or that are kind of used as shorthand tend to really be um, kind of lacking or, or, or very abstract. This was like, I noticed it's like as kind of reaching a fever pitch in the summer of 2013 when all the Snowden stories started dropping because you had all these reporters on very short deadlines trying to publish all of these stories about this really complicated concept. And they all needed art, and they were all pulling these terrible stock images, you know, and it'd be like this black screen, and there's some green letters, and maybe someone's typing, and it's very cyber, you know, like there wasn't, there was, it was like completely incoherent, right? And and I kind of kept seeing this stuff and going like, I don't know what the internet looks like, but I don't think it looks like this, and I kind of wanted to go find out. So when you set out to do this project, did you ask other people what they thought the Internet looked like? Yeah, I had a lot of conversations with people about what what they were expecting or if they'd previously thought about it. And, um, you know, people tended to have a lot of different varied kind of interpretations of it or, or like metaphors that they would resort to to try and describe it. Sometimes you'd find people who'd know that there were kind of like actual physical objects involved, but the idea of sort of where are those objects? Who own those? Who owns those objects? That that stuff still remained very like far away. You say in the book that to find internet infrastructure in a city, it's helpful to start from the ground up. Mm-hmm. So, where did you look initially? Um. So, the thing that kind of like I don't know, unlocked a lot of the book for me was was looking at and for um, buried cable infrastructure. So, a lot of the internet runs on cables, um, even though. Most of the the data experiences that maybe you and I might have using the internet involve using uh, wireless transmissions. Mm-hmm. Um, most of that stuff ends up having to come back to a fiber optic cable at some point. And to locate those fiber optic cables, no one's going to just give you a map of it. It turns out I learned. <laughs> um, <laughs> you tried. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I was like, oh, this guy, this has to be public information somewhere. It turns out not so much. Um, but uh, the the thing that, that became really useful for me was um, realizing that there was kind of a way I could reverse engineer where bits of the, the network were buried in the city using um, excavation markings uh, placed in, like, advance of, like, street construction. So before, you know, somebody goes to, like, dig up the street, like, I don't know, they're going to work on the power grid or something. Other utility companies have to mark out where their stuff is buried in an intersection basically to make sure that nothing gets damaged, right? Like, you don't want to be, you know, going to work on the gas line and like, oh, no, we knocked out the power grid, right? Um, And so those are all color-coded. Orange happens to be telecommunications, which for the most part is going to be a lot of fiber optic and some coaxial cable. How closely connected is the city's internet history to the history of the telegraph and telephone? 
they're very, very connected. There's a tendency, I mean, the history of like kind of communications infrastructure tends to be like the inheritance of whatever was built before because it's really expensive to like dig up streets and it's really expensive to build conduit. Um, So a lot of the time, new technologies will just kind of replace the ones that already have existing kind of like paths and routes through the city. So, I mean, the the company that maintains all of the communication ducts in New York City initially was managing like telegraph and telephone lines. And the two kind of most central kind of internet switching stations, um, they're also referred to as like carrier hotels are kind of basically like key points for like where information kind of like moves from one part of the internet to another part of the internet. They're in Soho, in Manhattan, in buildings that were respectively first um, the AT&T Long Lines headquarters and the Western Union Telegraph building. You say in the book that Verizon is the infrastructural elephant in the room, though. (laughs) Yeah, so Verizon has a surprisingly large hold over New York City's internet infrastructure through some things that are kind of accidents of history, right? So, in 1891, uh, the the city sort of agreed to, to charter this company called Empire City Subway. Subway referring to like subterranean way, like paths. And that company's job was to manage underground duct infrastructure for communication. So they don't actually own any cables. They just own like the space where all the cables go. And so when a company uh, wants to run new fiber optic cable somewhere in the city, First, they have to go through the Department of Information Technology and Telecommunications, and then they have to go through ECS. When Shortly after ECS was formed, it became majority owned basically by the Bell Corporation, by the Bell Corporation, AT&T. And then over the course of kind of the next, you know, decades as, as, you know, the rise and fall of the the AT&T monopoly happened and various sorts of mergers and, and acquisitions happened, it ended up in the hands of Verizon. So technically, like, Empire City Subway is a fully owned subsidiary of Verizon. And that technically means that Verizon manages and maintains all of the communication ducts under New York City. Um, and what that can mean is it's unclear, you know, they're not technically supposed to have any sort of, like, influence on where things, you know, are or aren't installed or, like, you know, who gets access or who doesn't. But they can make it, like, really inconvenient for competitors if they feel like it. Um, they also Verizon also is kind of been been a little more notorious in New York City for a more recent incident, which was the FiOS contract and rollout. They were supposed to be bringing high speed fiber um, that I think the contract said it would pass every home in New York City, which the city thought meant that they'd be able to get high speed fiber in every home in New York City, and Verizon thought that that meant. Well, it goes past every home in New York City, and then maybe it connects homes in parts of, you know, downtown Manhattan and Williamsburg and other neighborhoods with more money. (laughs) The city has been trying to bring Wi-Fi to areas that have a void of it through Link NYC. Now, how does that play into the infrastructure? So Link NYC is an interesting um, addition to the infrastructural landscape um, for a few reasons. One is that it's not unusual for, you know, telecommunications infrastructure to be privately held and maintained, but it's doing so taking advantage of an existing sort of public infrastructure, which are the payphones, right? The real estate of like a New York City tel- payphone kiosk 
is what like the links are replacing. And basically, like kind of all of the arrangements of that system are run through CityBridge LLC, which is a co- consortia of companies um, that initially kind of like applied for like the bid to do the project. Um, so it's sort of it's interesting because it's uh, pretty much entirely kind of behind like a closed private company. You can't really like you can kind of submit freedom of information requests um, for them in a sideways way if you do a request on like you know city communications with the company, but you can't kind of like directly hold them accountable, really. Only maybe the city could do that in the terms of their contract. And it seems like the the watching the rollout of that program has been interesting insofar as it seems like a lot of the decisions about how the kiosks would work had to do with assumptions about what people needed the internet for and how they assumed that people would or should use the internet, which is itself also kind of, I don't know, there's something, I have a friend who used to work at the New York Public Library who was like, it's, it's, you know, we've dealt with this problem before of being like a public service providing internet access and, you know, kind of wanting to make sure that like it's being used in like a productive way. Like you would, maybe they should have called us. Mm -hmm. A lot of people were using it for porn. Well, and and who's to say that they should? I mean, it's. I think there's something a little. There's a little bit of a, like a paternalistic quality to like you know this is what you should use the internet for, right? That's a little bit problematic. Um, I mean, the fact that that the expectation that that's not something anyone would do is a little bit ridiculous. And there's also, um, I mean, the the announcement that they were going to turn off the the web browsing feature because of people viewing porn came after they'd already installed content filters. So I'm not sure either they they had a bad content filter that wasn't doing its job, or I think, you know, other speculation I've heard is that there was just, like, discomfort at, like, kind of the unseemly position of, like, homeless people sitting in front of these kiosks for, like, hours at a time, which is, why not? Like, that's what it's there for. So what street marking should we be looking out for if we want to get a better understanding of the city's digital network? So the orange ones are kind of kind of a date are are like starting with like colors orange is a pretty obvious start. Um often the the markings will have different like letters in them that'll give you a sense of maybe who owns the if not the cable, then sometimes it'll just kind of indicate who owns the duct. Like it'll just say ECS, Empire City Subway. It can be really hard to read because I think these are being written kind of in a rush. But um, you can also look for sometimes it'll say the type of cable. Like it'll be like FO as in fiber optic. Um, or sometimes you'll see CATV, which usually means it's a coaxial line for cable uh, television. Uh, sometimes you'll see abbreviations of names of companies. So like ATT is another one. Uh, Sometimes you'll see XO for XO Communications. Sometimes you'll see Sprint. Um, different names, different um, companies. Some of them more familiar to other people. Like sometimes you'll see L3, which is um, Level 3 Communications, who are a really, really large network company that most consumers never hear about because they don't really do like home internet services. So orange, though, typically means communications cables. Or, yeah, orange is all communications. What about the other colors? The we other see white colors. and red. Uh, red is uh, electric, so that's just going to be like power lines. Yellow is gas. White tends to mean, I've seen that, that it means like proposed excavation, like there's going to be some like street construction in this spot. Green is sewage. Blue is water. There's a few. Purple is like irrigation, which I've never actually seen in New York City. Yeah, I think that those are the main ones. What's the best place in the city to look for these spray paint markings? Hmm. Well, basically any place that there's going to be construction and or, you know, 
new new like street work happening, which most parts of Manhattan that tends to happen like pretty regularly. Um, anywhere like I imagine I haven't actually gone to check, but I imagine a lot of places around where you know the Second Avenue subway someday might be will probably continue to be like pretty busy with excavation stuff. Other places that are good to look. One way, one trick that I sometimes would use to try and figure out where I can maybe find good marking was to go look at the Department of Transportation's website for um, updates on different permits for street excavation. So you just look at, like, where is construction happening in the next, you know, week or few weeks and go there and see what's around. Manhole covers also help to tell this story, right? Yeah. Um, there's there's a pattern of manhole cover that's pretty ubiquitous um, that has this sort of, like, hexagonal design running along it. And um, across the country, actually, in the United States, you'll see this manhole, usually within the se- with a logo in the center of it of the old, like, Bell logo. This was the, you know, ubiquitous AT&T manhole. In Manhattan and the Bronx, it'll usually say ECS, as an Empire City subway. What's at eye level or above eye level that we should look out for? Um, good things to kind of look for at kind of the street level. The book documents a couple of specific, like, landmark, like, buildings that are kind of relevant. Most of those are, are downtown in Manhattan. Things, other things that are kind of good to look at on the street level would be pieces of, or that are documented in the book, are, are pieces of sort of like traffic infrastructure, like signal control boxes, which are not networked to the kind of global internet, but are kind of interesting networked objects that help keep the city running. There's also these, there are on some street posts throughout the city, there will be these like extra antennas that are part of these things called distributed antenna systems. They're kind of like cell repeaters, basically, but they're like kind of lower to the ground than where most cell towers get put. Yeah. Also in the book, I forgot to include these, but they're kind of a nice like indicator is um, sometimes you'll see nitrogen tanks, like really big, tall nitrogen tanks sitting on like a street corner. This is usually more often in the summer. That'll be kind of like sneaking their way into an open manhole or something. Those are actually there to cool down systems because sometimes telecommunications ducts will be really close to steam vents. or um, So basically, like, things will melt inside the ducts if they're not careful. So they, they feed nitrogen into the, into the ducts. You also focus on NYPD and MTA surveillance cameras in this book. They're included, you know, they're there. Um, and I think that it's it to, to talk about networked uh, technologies and systems that help keep a sitting running and not talk about, you know, law enforcement and surveillance would, would be kind of a miss. What impact do you hope to make with this book? I, I think the main thing that I hope for and that's been kind of the most rewarding is to see people kind of just become more curious about their own surroundings, right? Like once you start looking for this stuff, it's really hard to not notice it and it makes you start to kind of wonder about everything else in the city and how it works and how it runs and make you think about makes me anyway think about you know when I go like look at my phone to try and get directions to get somewhere all of the different you know components and technologies and sort of history and labor that went into making that extremely quotidian thing happen. Did you raise any flags with anyone in putting this book together? People concerned that you were laying things too much out there that you could inspire someone to hack these wires? Not really. I mean, first of all, I think that, you know, for the for anything that I'm kind of documenting to like ha- be like damaged at scale, like you would need to have a degree of resources that at which point like you probably are dealing with a with an adversary who like you have bigger problems. Like if you actually wanted to make you know, internet connectivity in New York City completely go down, like, you would need to be doing, like, something that is so coordinated and so effective hitting, you know, like, 
extremely well fortified buildings like at that point you're dealing with a country right um at which point like you might be be a little more concerned about some other things if a country feels like they should be doing that not to mention it's kind of an act of like mutually assured destruction at that point given that you know all acts of war are propaganda actions as well and then i i don't know i mean the I didn't I didn't unearth secret information like all of this is stuff that's like out in the public. Um, I happen to put it together in like an interesting way that tells a fun story. But it's it's not stuff that if, if someone wanted to figure this out, they, they could have done it very easily without me. What's the most surprising thing you think you've uncovered in this project? Mm. Hmm. Surprising. I guess um, one of the things that's been really surprising to me is um, like how easy it is to kind of like overlook this stuff um because it's again it's like once you start looking for it it's really really hard to not notice it and like you know just walking around the street just realizing how many like weird antennas there are on street posts and how many you know interesting like things could be happening like in a construction site at any given time stuff that i think previously you know i would have just kind of like tried to walk past or just seen as like something kind of in my way walking around new york now kind of become something that's like really worth paying attention to. Ingrid, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you. Ingrid Burrington's book, Networks of New York, an illustrated field guide to urban internet infrastructure, is published by Melville House. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Bodarki. My thanks to producer Zach Zalas, and thank you for listening. It's WFUV and WFUV HD New York. Listener supported public media from Fordham, the Jesuit University of New York. Music discovery starts here. <laughs>